Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast. This is Rick Roberts. Today, I've got a great episode for you. It's uh, Johnny W., a former student of mine, another success story I want to share with you guys and kind of give you some inspiration, and we'll talk to him in just a second. Your inspiration for me are these iTunes reviews and the emails I get and the Facebook messages. I love them. They kind of keep me energized. So let's go to the iTunes reviews here. We have one from January 4th. This is from Catalina8989. And she said, it's priceless comedy mentorship. One of the hardest things to find as a comedian and one of the most valuable tools we can have is a mentor. Rick fills that role, providing practical advice and applicable strategies. Keep the podcast coming. When I get reviews like that, I can't wait to do the next one. So thank you very much for putting that in there. And certainly, guys out there, if you're listening and you've maybe listened to a few episodes and got anything out of it, help us out in the search by just leaving us a short and sweet iTunes review. And we definitely appreciate it and we'll read it on the air. Um, also, you can ask questions. We're on Twitter, at School of Laughs. If you want a question answered on the podcast, we're always happy to get those answered. So you can do it that way. Also, of course, hitting us on the Facebook groups where you see these things posted or by going to the website and clicking the Call Now button. It'll just activate the microphone on your computer, and you can ask a question, and that'll get emailed to me. We'll, we'll pop it up here on the email. All that's out of the way. I'm really excited to get started. Um, Johnny W. is in the podcast studio with me today and Johnny I met several years ago to set me straight and let me know how many years ago when we first kind of crossed paths it would have been June of 2009 okay that we met. so yeah. a little less than six years ago yeah. and if I remember correctly your wife bought you the comedy class as a gift because you were already kind of experiment a little bit with comedy and she thought it'd be something you'd get into yeah i'd done a few events uh i was working on staff as a, at a church at the time and uh so i was doing some some random things and i started doing some church events and i uh, knew i was interested in it and then uh she heard that you had a writing class and i was like okay and then when i saw you in 2009 at a conference um and uh, you were one of the you were in a showcase and i was like oh this guy was really good and then I kind of put two and two together, like, that's the guy that teaches the writing class at Zanies, I think, because I'd heard your name before. But once I saw you kind of do what you did, I was like, okay. All right, well, so there's, you know what I'm saying? It's different. If, you, if somebody teaches a class, sometimes it's like, I want to see you do it. Though. Sure. I mean, <laughs> you know? there's that yeah. old saying that those who can't do teach, <laughs> but those who teach can inspire a nation to do. Yeah. I think I think, I think <laughs> you just coined that. I think you just coined that. I phrase, like it. Right? <laughs> Put that on one of those little memes. Yeah. That's not going to fit on a bumper sticker <laughs> yeah. at all, and depending on the font. Yeah. And, uh, We're going Calibri. <laughs> you got to go Calibri. But uh, anyway, so I, yeah, so she she was like, well, so she surprised me for my birthday that year. So uh, my birthday was in June. So yeah, so then um, I came out and did the Zanies class. Uh, like I said, I already had some some experience, but it definitely was uh, a great help because I main thing was I I was around other people who were doing it, and it was just kind of like there's something about the 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 community of it. I don't know. I always compare it to like being around somebody like you ever see two soldiers kind of like they just already have a connection right. I think about that when I see another comedian and uh, not that I'm comparing myself to people who serve in the military God bless you guys <laughs> but there's a similar thing of like I know 
already I know about 10 things about you if you're a comedian. Mm-hmm. I know I know the struggle. I know you've bombed. I know you've killed, usually, uh, right. unless you're terrible. Uh, Are we talking about the soldier again? Right. Yeah. Who's this bombing a, and who's <laughs> killed? <laughs> this is getting dangerous. We're in new territory here. Yeah, this is uh, – I mean, incidentally, I'm accidentally hilarious, uh, you guys, uh, even when I'm trying not to be. No, but there's just something about it. So I really like that. I like the camaraderie of that. And then, But, yeah, there were so many things that, that I learned about what wasn't in my show already. Like when you went over the, the techniques, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I have like two or three of these maybe at the most that are working in my show, and I'm not doing any of this other stuff. And some of the stuff is like, well, this is just not my style. But some of it is like, okay, I need to be writing more of these. Or I've got five of these in a row, and no wonder I'm getting a flat spot in my show. The audience can see it coming. So it really helped like that. And just having homework, like you'd give us homework, like here's your misdirections for the night. Like my my parents were strict, blank. And then I would have to go home and just like write 10 of those. Right. And I never had that. I never did that for myself. I never would set myself up that way. So it was good. It was a good exercise. It's fun. You know, I, I still learn a lot when I teach the class. And that was one of the big things I learned when I put it together the first time was um, of all the techniques I use, sometimes I was like six jokes in a row using the exact same technique. And I was I'm like, the fifth and sixth joke are the funniest. How come they're not laughing anymore? It's like they can hear it right. in your voice or they can yeah. see it coming. So interesting that you picked up on that one, too. So that was uh, when we first met. Mm-hmm. And at at your church where you were still working at the time, um, you were doing different fundraisers there yeah. and, and putting on comedy shows. And at that point, you were still bringing in some other people, too, right? And yeah, well, I started out as like we, we do this thing uh, where we do a missions fundraiser at the end of the year. And I had done probably four or five events. They were like, why don't you do your whatever you have material wise and then we'll make that at the fundraiser I was like okay so that year I did whatever I had and um and then the next year I had probably 20 new minutes I was like I don't have enough time to do this again so by then I knew you and I knew Brian Bates and and then Brian was like hey my buddy Nate's in town do you want him to come do some time I go I, I don't know him at that point I was like really like scared of like well, it's your reputation in. on the line. Yeah, it's like right. it's, it's the pulpit, really. I'm putting him on stage in front of where, you know, this is where the pastor preaches from. I'm like, I don't know who Nate is. He goes, well, he just did Conan for the fourth time. I was like, we'll see if he can come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. So, it's Nate Bregazzi. Yeah, Nate Bregazzi. So Nate came out, and it was an amazing show. I mean, of course, it was just so great. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I, that's really cool, too. That's my favorite thing about doing this, really, is all the people I've gotten to meet and then you end up doing each other's shows and you, it's so, so great. That's yeah. the really the most fun thing. For me too, obviously it's a, just all the people I've met over 23 years of doing yeah. it, you know, and it's, you can see somebody you haven't seen in 15 years and it's, it's instantly like you were hanging out yesterday. Yeah. I mean, you obviously catch up, but the friendship is still, you know, comics have this kind of put it on hold friendship and I'll see you again and pick it up. Uh, but it's great when you can have the other guys work with you mm-hmm. and see what they've done since and what, what they're developing into and all those things. You've always been that guy, though, for me. It's like, I remember when I did a show in, it was it would have been late 2009, early 2010, and it was in Knoxville, and it was for a church thing. Uh, it was like a fundraiser. It was at a high school gym, though. It was like in an auditorium, and I was like... I remember that one, yeah. And I said, well, I've been booked for this thing. I said, you wouldn't want to come down and do some time. And, like, you came down and opened for me. It yeah. was like, I couldn't believe it. I just kind of asked almost as a joke. <laughs> And I was really impressed with that. I was like, here's a guy that's been doing this so long, but he's just like, he wants to see. You wanted to see my show, too, I think, too. Well, that was part of it, is seeing the whole show, because I'd seen you in the class, and I knew from the stuff you'd turned in and and from the time you did your church that you were a funny guy, but I kind of wanted to see the, because you used some multimedia in your show. Right. 
uh, you use the some some slides on screen, right. some voiceover, some things sometimes when you're doing something different on stage. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can't see that in a three-minute set at Zany's or wherever. Right. So it was cool to kind of go down and soak it in. And plus, at that time, I think I was still trying to get out of the house as much as possible. Right. I was feeling overwhelmed <laughs> as a new parent, and I was looking for invitations to go anywhere at any time. Right. Yeah. No, but I, I mean, that, that, that meant a lot to me. That and, and, and I think that I've kind of sh- – it shaped some of my, my attitudes about – because like kind of seeing other comics, a lot of times we can get into a competitive mindset, you know. So being around people early on in my career that were very uh, open – and they they thought of it as a camaraderie and like we can all get better we can all help each other get better there's just something about it because i came from music like i did music for seven years uh, in a band and it's very like literally battle of the bands i mean that's what when you have a, when you're up against other bands right. you're up against them it's there's only one person can win or whatever and so it just feels like and there are comedians like that too sure but i just feel like the people that that have been put in my path have been different and so it's been great. Oh, that's cool. And you also had a lot of support from your church, your, yeah. your day job, yeah, uh, to go take some gigs here and there and kind of get your feet headed the right direction and yeah, know, test it out. Yeah, and I started doing uh, comedy gigs. They would be like, my pastor was just like, why don't you do our announcements? Because nobody's listening in our <laughs> announcements, and we hate it. It's the thing nobody wanted to do. Right. So so maybe if you took it and made it funny, so I would I would take you know the five or six things we had to say that everybody would just like start looking at the floor or looking at their bulletins. I would start trying to make that the most interesting part of the service, and so we just kind of they wrapped their church culture around what I was doing. I think that really only could happen in a town like Nashville too, or maybe LA, or you know what I'm saying like where they they don't see what you're doing as almost like a okay let him go try this thing. It's almost embarrassing because it's right. not a traditional thing to go pursue. This is an artistic kind of community where it's like, oh, he wants to try that. Cool. Well, let's see what we can do to. I think there's just something special about this town. In a yeah. Way, well, know? I think it's smart too that you saw that opportunity. One, one thing when I did when I first started, I lived in Columbus, Ohio, basically right on the campus of Ohio State. Even though I didn't go there, that was yeah. where I could afford to live, right? right? With three other people, and I lived in the attic. But I would uh, all my neighbors in this row of it was, it was probably eight different units, but mm-hmm. one big building basically. And my neighbors to the right, a band called Ishkabibble, and they played really great. I mean, the, one of the best bass players still I've ever heard in my life. But, I, you know, we were hit it off. I'm like, hey, if you guys ever want somebody to go up there and kill five or ten minutes between a band change or something or while you're on break, give me a holler. And I would look for little opportunities to, even though it wasn't in the comedy club or mm-hmm. wherever, yeah. just to get in front of an audience and to do that in front of your church. I mean, it's it's sitting right there, and you, but you saw it. Sometimes it's too close to see. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you, for me, I never was an ambitious guy. I just kind of, I didn't go to college. I didn't, when I, when I hit my mid-20s, even when you're starting to like feel like the pressure of, I got to figure this out, I didn't feel that angst. I didn't really start feeling that until I was almost 30. And I was like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And so when I discovered comedy, it was a total moment of like a light switch flipping on. And then this ambitious like side that wanted to hustle and wanted to get opportunities and wanted to put myself out there, it opened up that side of my personality that was never there before. So Were you pretty I, introverted overall? Yeah, very much so. And just not sure not sure myself and not and it wasn't that the comedy made me feel more confident, but I knew that this is the one thing that I can do that I feel like a lot of people can't do. Uh, and so it's almost like you kind of discover a third eye that uh-huh. you see the world with. And now you're like, how far can I take this? 
And so you makes you want to push yourself. And you saw I started stepping out of my comfort zone more. I would ask for opportunities like that, like you said, oh, asking bands to do things, or, or you start uh, putting yourself out there. I mean, Facebook was a great medium for me early on because I would find out where this or that venue was, and I would just reach out to them. And it was in a non-confrontational way for me, so I could still kind of like hide out and be like, okay, if they respond, they respond. And if they, they don't, yeah, yeah. So that worked out really well for me. I was able to kind of uh, to get a lot of opportunities that way. And to even to the state, and, you, and you've been full-time for how long now, just kind of keep uh, A little over two years. Okay, so a little over two years. And you're one of the better people I know that once you have a date on the book somewhere, mm-hmm. you start trying to find an add-on gig yeah. in the area, and you notify everybody in that area that's following you on Facebook or any connection you have, yeah. so that even if the night before just pays a little bit and covers your travel, you're, you still have another gig in front of a group in that town that you're building a following with, and you've made it a great deal for them. And a great deal for you because, you know, yeah. It, once you once you leave town, you might as well do a few things. Yeah, you know, it's the travel days that kill you. So right. So what's your um, what advice would you have for people that are you know maybe they're going to hit they've got one show booked somewhere <coughs> and they they want to get something else close to it. how do you go about it? Yeah, that the routed gig thing is really how I built things early on because um, yeah I would get into somewhere like sometimes I would do. Like I started out doing a lot of churches because that's where I started out, and so that was my network of people. So it's almost like a niche market. I was talking to uh, another comedian, John Christ, last night, who's in town, uh, and we were talking about the market that we're in, which we do a lot of church events, and we would say, you know, like the alt scene. We, I was talking about the, the kind of the, the, the. I have a lot of friends who are in the alt scene here in Nashville, and that's a really a niche market in the same way the church market is. They found their fans, their their market of people. And so it's really not much different. So my market of people that I knew was a lot of pastors and a lot of youth pastors, college pastors. So that was who I reached out to early on and I would get or I would get booked for a youth conference uh, or a college conference or a men's conference and I would say, okay, I'm gonna be in, you know, Massachusetts in this town. So I would just start reaching out to the other people that I knew that were in that area and say, hey, I'm going to be in this area. Would you want to come do something? Whatever you whatever you can afford, really. Right. You know, what would be your budget? And if they would reach back and even say they had a few hundred dollars in the hotel, I would say, okay, I'll do it. And that would just kind of put me out there. And again, it's more state when you're looking for stage time too, because you're sharpening your act. You talked to me about that early on. You'd say these people that get a year in or a year and a half in, and they're mad that they don't get full time money yet. You'd say you really have no right to do that yet because you're basically asking somebody to pay you for the first two chapters of a book. Right, 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 right. You know, your book's not even been really fully written. Yeah, yet. first and draft. Really, yeah, yeah. It's like your comedy show really is always evolving too. Mm-hmm. So I'm always I was just grateful to have stage time, uh, and if somebody was willing to put me in a hotel for the night, I really would have gone out for that or more gas money or whatever. Sure. This pays. This paid for my flight, and hey, I feel like that's a win. So that with that attitude going forward, yeah, it really I was able to turn one day into five many times mm-hmm. uh, and just stay into it, stay in an area. And those other four groups re- remembered how you came to them with uh, open arms, like, "Hey, whatever you can do for me." Yeah. And then later on, once they saw the talent you had and you're developing, they're like, yeah. well, "We got to get Johnny back." And it's yeah, you know, many times it's your full rate or whatever it might be, but you you weren't even looking for that originally. It's just it's just a byproduct of being a go getter. Yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, like you said, many times people are very, they're very like grateful for the opportunity to bring you in. And sometimes it can be bad. I mean, you go in sometimes, and it's almost like people who did not extend themselves uh, financially, maybe they don't put the same promotion in to somebody that puts in the full fee. Right, uh, and so that can happen. 
But I mean, to me, it's like the, it was the great adventure of like, oh wow, I turned this one thing into four things, and right. I just loved that about it. So no, it's real smart, and we 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 talk all the time about the value of networking, getting out there, and, and hustling, and doing it, and that's. <coughs> You know, to turn one thing into four or five is that's magic. Yeah. That's, that's your next thing on stage. Yeah, showing absolutely. people the magic of Johnny W. <laughs> <laughs> now, Johnny, uh, I'll say it because you probably won't, but you can definitely agree out loud. Oh, wow. um, fantastic singer and guitar player. I, mm. Those years of singing in a band. Um, you're a white boy with some soul. Oh no! And Come when, on when now. you hit, <laughs> when you hit the mic and do your songs, there's um, that they recognize that this guy knows what he's doing on guitar. And then when you start singing, you know, when your setups, whatever it might be leading, they're like, whoa, this guy can actually sing. And when you hit him with the funny part on top of that, even though they, they came there to see you be funny, I don't think they always expect um, your skill that you, that you have as a guitar player and, and the voice you have. So was there any time where you considered that that's, that you wouldn't involve that in your comedy? Or was there a certain point where that was the first thing you did and then, you, then taking the guitar off and just standing there with the microphone and just you and your jokes, was there ever a transition or an, uh, awkward moments with that? Yeah, I, all of it. Because to me, I would start out with uh, th- I would start out with something musical, because I, from the very early time, I wanted my show to feel uh, like it had different gears in it. I wanted to feel, to feel like an event. Um, so like I went to Vegas a few years ago, and I would watch a show like Blue Man Group, uh-huh. or I would see something like that. I walked away more inspired from that than a comedy show. I grew up watching comedians and Evening at the Improv and all that's Comic Strip Live, and I loved comedians. But when I would watch a show like Blue Man Group, I would think, this inspired me more than just seeing a monologist do an hour of talking into a mic, because I felt like... I was in, all my senses were engaged and there was a group, what I would call group think happening uh-huh. in the room where they're, they're already, there's, there's a mindset in the, in the room that's happening. Like I, I loved that. And I also liked the idea of being able to change gears in the show and almost like coming from the music background, I can't, I did music for about seven years in a band. And so coming from that mindset, I wanted you know, when you do a when you're a band and you could just go up and like when you see somebody like uh, let's just take a band like Skinner, okay? So they go up and they do their songs, but you could have just sat home and listened to their songs. Like all the moments that they made in between, that maybe they did a solo a little different way, or they had an extended time where they talked about how they did this song and the original story behind it. Those are the things you remember. And when I would see a comedian, it wouldn't necessarily be that. You wouldn't walk away thinking oh, those are the five things I remember. And I wanted my show to have four or five things you could take away, what I would call universal takeaway. Uh-huh. And so so I would open with a big number, and that would serve two things. I would make sure it was self-deprecating, but I would make sure that I kind of wowed them a little bit too. And so they would already, I would already establish kind of this thing. They're going to take that away. And then I would go into some regular monology <laughs> stuff, regular straight traditional stand-up. Then I would do a thing in the middle that I developed early on where uh, I would do some jokes over like just regular acoustic guitar that are like one-liners because I'd written all these things on Twitter and Facebook. And then I would close with a big number. So in between, everything else could be different. But when I, w- I would find when I would do like spots in a club to answer your question about would it, did I find it interesting to go when I would have to sit the guitar down, that was like totally uh, hard for me. Because it's uh, a shorter set, seven short, minutes or whatever. And- get in, get out, beginning, middle, end. Like, that's the weird part. And um, I would do clubs where I'd started out doing uh, venues where there'd be a a media screen, a projector. They would have a great sound system. 
and I, I knew that I could kind of pull out my bells and whistles. Then I would go to a club and I would they want me to do a feature spot 20 minutes without any of that. I couldn't go in and go, here are my tracks and here are right. my things and where can I plug this guitar in? And I kind of knew it. So I would prepare, I would cram this other stuff in. And the first few times I did that, man, it was very uncomfortable for me. But because of that, and keeping keep it in keeping one foot in foot in the clubs, I was able to develop this other side of my act. Um, and so I'm glad that I did it. I'm glad that I did both. Right. And we and we've talked many times about the value of clubs as far as keeping the the the, the pacing of the jokes and not getting mm-hmm. lazy. We, we kind of say it needs to be club funny, church clean, or club funny, corporate clean, or whatever yeah. it might be. And it's it's. Like it's it's a gym, you know. It's a place to work out. If you're in those niche markets, it's really advisable to stay in the club a little bit. Yeah, you might work the whole week, but you need to be popping in there on those off nights and and picking up the slack. The dead wood gets gets floating around in your act if you don't. Yeah, because a lot of times I'm in front of uh, friendly audiences, or uh, you know, there's not a there's not an aggressive or a, an armfoldy kind of mindset into like a prove it to me crowd. Right, and so. Um, yeah, it can make you soft. It can make you soft if you're not careful. Um, so I, I, I want to work things out in front of an audience that has no real vested interest in my success. Right. Uh, a lot, you know. So, got to so do that. As you were getting going there, you know, you you had a job uh, just like Brian Bates, who we've talked to on the show, that was pretty accommodating with your schedule. And if you needed mm-hmm. to be gone for an extended period of time, they would work around that. Yeah. But probably in the back of your head, you're like, you know, if I'm going to go at this, I got to go at this, and I've, I've got to make this full time, full focus. What was the transition like when you finally said, okay, I'm going to live off of this and, you know, I can still volunteer at church and do different things for them, but my income's coming from comedy. What was that? Yeah, the first step was, <coughs> so when I first took the job at the church, I was cleaning the church. So, uh, and I was, then they put me over uh, Young Adults Ministry right away, uh, probably six months in. So then I was doing both. So I had a Tuesday night uh, service that I was having to prepare for. And all, and so like any, like we have a Wednesday night service that I'd have to clean the building for, and we have Sunday service, obviously. So I was having to be back. So if I took a weekend thing, it would be so hard for me to get back in time. So that was really the first step was like, I got to go to part time. I'm just going to do the college ministry on Tuesdays, and you got to hand off the building to somebody else. So they were cool with that right away. Like, hey, we feel like this is where, you know, you're being led to. This is great. We were supportive of it. So I did that for another like year and a half. And so I was drawing a small check from the church for doing college ministry, and I was able to go out and do weekend events without interfering with my Tuesday service. But then that started picking up so much. And so around 2012, um, towards the fall, I went to my, the, my pastor was like, hey, this is, I feel like, I feel bad. I'm missing so many things. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like it's right for me to keep taking money from the church. This is where I feel like I'm headed. So. Uh, they couldn't have been better about it, and uh, luckily one of my best friends is on staff there, and he took over the young adults ministry, and um, then we promoted somebody else to take his job as youth pastor, so it was just like, it couldn't have been a more uh, just ideal situation. Yeah, it opened up doors for everybody else. Yeah, it opened up doors for everybody else. Me, me making my big leap was able for them to make their leap, right? Too, and so. who was the person in charge of opening doors and cleaning at that point? Yeah, who got promoted? Oh my god, yeah, got that job. <laughs> Somebody was opening the door physically, and there's your church has at least seven or eight doors. Yeah, so the right. time you were putting in is yeah. pretty incredible. But remember, yeah, a closed line yeah, a, rarely encounters an open door. <laughs> That's great. So mine is a terrible thing. What did Dan Quayle say when he spoke in front of the United Negro College Fund? One of my favorite clips ever. He said, uh, "Just like you're saying, just like your slogan says." 
what a terrible thing it is to lose one's mind <laughs> or not to have a mind. Yeah. He said that. <laughs> or to spell potatoes wrong. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, he was one of the best. Thank, thank you, Indiana, <laughs> for sending us your promised son. So that's interesting. And, I, and we really haven't talked too in deep about the um, the Christian market, the church market. And, and even in that, there's uh, a variety of things you can do. I mean, obviously, performing at a church is an outreach event where mm-hmm. they get people in the doors that haven't been there before to doing a youth conference, to doing a men's retreat or a couple's retreat. Uh, where do you find, is it kind of across the board you're doing all those things, or is there one that you really kind of gravitate to that you, you feel the best about? I do uh, a little of everything. My favorite, uh, if I was to pick an age group that I, if somebody that's in a total niche within the niche, it would be a college market. I mm-hmm. like college groups because um, that is where you the rubber meets the road as far as if you have material that's a little bit silly they'll still laugh at that and if you have material that's a little cerebral um, then they're mature enough to get it so everything that I do would hit home with a college group Um, but I like mixed ages if I had to like I like that's one of the interesting things about the church market niche that is kind of the unsung thing about it and you know this that people forget is first of all you have to have a lot of material right away you don't get like hey come do five minutes before the potluck like you don't get the open there's no open mic right it's 30 minutes 30 minutes minimum like hey (laughs) we want you to come do this and hey mix in your whatever you want to if you sometimes they want you to share a little bit of your heart about things sometimes they just want you to be funny that's fine and but you have to have a lot of material and you need to be able to make an eight-year-old and an 80-year-old laugh well, that's not true in the club market necessarily. Right, not a well-run club. <laughs> right, there's not a yeah. Go on in, eight-year-olds, <laughs> two drink minimum. But yeah, so there's three or four different kinds of people in a club. You know, right. generally speaking, uh, church market. There's the the wide ranging ages, and uh, so I, you have to be prepared with material that uh, can make a, a broad range of people laugh. And so I think that actually made me sharper. It didn't make me softer. It made me sharper. I think it's a unique challenge, and people dismiss that sometimes, but to be, for your material to be accessible Mm -hmm. to a broad range, yet still unique and clever, I mean, that's, that, that's the best material, I think. I mean, the people that can cross over and, and, yeah. and get the bigger audiences are able to do that. But a lot of comics dismiss it like, oh, you, if you can make an eight-year-old laugh, you don't know what you're doing. But right. you try it sometime. Yeah. <laughs> There's well, a, and obviously I had, I had uh, you know, uh, principles that I wanted to, to be a clean comedian. Just even outside of my Christian principles, I wanted to be. I liked the challenge of it. I grew up watching Seinfeld and George Wallace and some of those guys. I was like, I want to be, I want to do that. And I like the challenge of uh, of just using the words and not using the words just to shock people. Right. You know that uh, Dennis Regan talked about that one time. I was I saw him talking about why he and Brian work clean, and he said he did hit one of his first shows. He was working dirty. He he'd done like four or five shows and was killing at this bar, and then, and then the next night he was like, I think I'm going to lift those words out and just see, make sure I know what I have. He said the jokes got no laughs, and he drove home so mad. He was like, That's like this group was laughing like a like a seven year old would laugh at the word poop. Right. He was so mad that he said, I've never gone back to dirty jokes after that because I just made up my mind, like, I'm not going to use that as a crutch, you know. So I, I think I, th- there were principles early on. And I, obviously, when you work in the market that I work in, it probably I'd say 80% of my work comes from that. You, yeah, that's, that's built in. Mm-hmm. You don't have the option to go into the, the risque material. So it's already just that boundary's up. And um, that's a boundary I would have anyway, but it's just one of those things of like, I've got to figure out how to explore this topic 
in a safe way for them. It's right, been, right. You know, I don't necessarily consider my comedy safe. I think comedy is an art form. You need to be you need to be pushing envelopes, but I don't have to. I don't push them in that way. I don't right. push them in a language way. So, and now that now that you've been at this full time for a, you know a short time, but it's been a, a long enough to where you've feel what it's like not to have that safety net of anything else. Yeah. Uh, one thing I appreciate about you is, is your work ethic. I mean, anybody listening think you can gradually get into comedy doing it part-time here and there it's it's not going to happen you really got to dig into yeah. it and what's some of the things that you do weekly uh monthly to kind of keep yourself on task i mean i can kind of see a little bit because yeah. uh, johnny shares the office right next to mine and um so i see him coming in putting the computer up and writing and we're going to do some writing here afters as well but yeah. what are other things you do that i don't see that maybe people aren't aware of that are part of the job uh, one of the things uh, is uh, you, obviously you have to work out um, material. So I try to go to, to open mics when I can. Sometimes it's hard because I travel a lot now, um, which that can make you soft too. You know that you know if you see a comic who did his first hour and it was like amazing, and then you see a second hour special and you're like, what happened? Well, he did 200 days that year, and so all of his jokes now are about airlines and right. And taxis and rental cars and it's like the life itself can make you weaker if you're not careful so um, one of the things I've been trying to do now is uh, throw myself into experiences that make me uncomfortable you know I bought a I bought a motorcycle uh, uh, and uh, my mom would kill me if she was alive because she was like so into not a good driver oh she yeah might, she, was, she yeah. might run over you in the driveway yeah, she's a terrible terrible driver she killed uh, that's how she died she would she had just killed someone with a no, <laughs> no Is that her they, motorcycle you got yeah she was yeah, a okay. i inherited the motorcycle from mom she was yeah, she was a she was a burly woman and uh first red hat hell's angel ever right. yeah. <laughs> it's a rare breed yeah <laughs> No, but she. Uh, but anyway, so I got that. But it, it, the thing about it is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a scooter. Really, it's not a motorcycle. I should preface that. And so uh, it's a it's razor. A, I saw it. It's a, with an old uh, lawnmower. Well, it's engine. a big. It's a 600 cc bike. So it's a, it's an automatic uh, motorcycle. But it's 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 a scooter and uh, it has a kickstand, right? Right, it has it's a, a bike. Stand. Yeah, it's a kick, it's a little bell on the front and. Um, no, I talk about that in my show too. I'll do sometimes I'll do a men's conference. And I'll be like, I got me a hog. I know some of you guys ride, and they'll all cheer the ones that ride. And then I'll show a slide of it. You yeah, know, and you can see that it's got the little open <laughs> right. Where you can slide the green it. thunderbolt. Yeah, and uh, they'll all laugh. And I go, look, I don't uh, care if you laugh at that or not. But it's in my show now, so that's a tax deduction. That's what men do. Right, right. <laughs> that's what men. Do. <laughs> that's all I care about is the tax deduction. But yeah, so I there's just things like I'll I'll find myself. If there's something I wouldn't normally do, I'll be like, well, this would be a good experience. Even if I'm terrible at it, this would be material. Or, and hanging around people who are funny, it, funny breeds funny. So um, that's another thing about ditching the day job. Uh, as soon as you can, I would encourage people who like work in a cubicle with just completely humorless people. There's, you're not ever going to really you have you need to be around people who have funny conversations right right um, um i wouldn't take it so far as seinfeld now i think when i watch seinfeld's podcast now or his uh, comedians in cars i'm interested i'm intrigued by how smug he's gotten about normal people right you know and maybe he's always been that way and i just never saw it but he was talking about how do you have conversations he was like literally strategizing how he has conversations with I, normal i people. use numbers yeah i ask questions <laughs> that numbers the answer so uh, well, how, how, are the, how old are the kids now, or whatever you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just like I can have a conversation with a normal person, right? Too. Right. But I will say that there's something about again, it's that camaraderie of being around comedians, and it's gonna, 
if I have a conversation with somebody, not not that you're always running material back and forth, that can be annoying to <laughs> other comedians. You're always like, if it's right. obvious they're running their material. But yeah, I mean, if you if you're talking about something, and it's just a regular subject matter. Having it with the, having that conversation with a comedian is going to be infinitely more, uh, you know, uh, productive uh, for your show. But yeah, I mean, sitting down and just writing in front of a blank screen can be very. Uh, it's very uh, ominous to me that blank uh, screen. Right. So I try to. If I think of something, an idea, I'll I'll send a uh, have a notes on my phone. I'll just make a little note, and then I'll try to remember to go back to it. One of the things you told me early on that I really got a lot out of was when you start writing on a, on a certain topic, don't stop until you've exhausted all the angles because it, you know you might get sent. It's almost like uh, digging for gold on like the beach if you've got a metal detector and you find a coin. Like you wouldn't just be like, "Cool, a coin," and then put it in your pocket and walk away. Like there may be a whole treasure chest and right. that coin, you know, so don't stop digging. So it's like, I had need, I'm one of those guys that still, I have a more of a disciplined, uh, m- you know, mentality about writing than I used to, but I still am somebody who I need that kernel of inspiration. It still feels a little bit like magic to me when I write a joke. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, I don't know if that'll ever go away where I still need that little spark and if you give me a spark, then I'll write for a while. But I don't think I could just sit down and be like, I think I'll write about sheetrock. You know, right. I don't know if I'm that guy. Uh, and some people are, and that's great. But I just don't know if I'm that guy. But I will say that when I get a spark, I try to exhaust all the angles. And mm-hmm. Gaffigan's like the king of that. Sure. Like, okay, here's a bacon joke, and then right. here's 10 more minutes of bacon jokes. Yeah. By the time he's done, you're like, I don't think I could write another joke about bacon <laughs> that Jim Gaffigan's not already written. Well, that's the, when, I was, when I started, um, <coughs> Richard Jenny was on the scene. Yeah. Who talk about a guy that would mind. Yeah, he's I mean, the I, king. One of his special, he did a 40-minute O.J. Simpson bit, if I remember <laughs> correctly. I mean, he, he, I mean, he didn't leave anything unturned. Yeah. Plus, he got so deep into it, he was finding stuff that nobody else would ever be talking about. Yeah. I mean, into the minutia of it and different things. So, um, yeah, it's definitely cool. Once you get the idea, don't let it go. Right. You know, Zig Ziglar, who's <laughs> the biggest motivational speaker ever, says a, a thought not written down is often a thought lost. Uh. And I know that because it's on my book that has a Zig Ziglar quote <laughs> on the front of it <laughs> that I write my thoughts in, and I come back to it later. And uh, I remember the first time you popped by my office and. You're like, I need a place like this where I can just beautiful-minded yeah. and put the whiteboard up. And <laughs> Yeah, there's a thing about getting your uh, your thoughts in a linear way out of the computer and putting them <coughs> out there. And uh, one of the things, too, you know, I travel uh, sometimes with a, with a comedian that does ticketed events. And, uh, and so I've learned a lot from watching him. One of the things he said is, he goes, I like writing uh, about something because I like finding out how I feel about it. And I never really thought about it that way. And so now I find myself writing about things that are not necessarily are controversial, but they're things that I never would have necessarily thought about. Like I was writing about immigration the other day. And this may never make it in my show, but writing about it lets me know. It almost shows you your own biases. Sure. By the time you get done, you're like, wow, I, I don't know. Maybe I feel stronger <laughs> about gun control than I thought. You know? Well, the honesty will come out, especially if you're mining deep. The honesty is going to come out, and you'll eventually see that where you really stand on that. And it can be embarrassing, or you can mm-hmm. feel ashamed of it, but it's really who you are. So right, to address it through comedy. Yeah, and, or, or, <clears throat> and the techniques that you talk about in your class, that's one of the things I really, early on, is uh, we talked about this the other day, but you know, one of the techniques is turning the tables and, and uh, self-deprecation and all those things. And I had some self-deprecating things in my show. Uh, a lot of them were about my weight and struggle with my struggle with food and, and uh, overeating and things. And 
once I started losing some of the weight, I realized I'm it's a gilded cage to have that much material about weight in your mm-hmm. show. And if I don't start mining my uh, past and my, my childhood for more things uh, that make me look vulnerable to a crowd, because I had so much other stuff that was kind of snarky and like clever and whatever, if I just have that in my show and no material that makes me look vulnerable, your likability goes through the floor and a crowd is not going to respond the same way. Mm-hmm. So it made me go, what are those techniques? Looking at the techniques and looking at my material in a linear way made me go, these are the holes. You can see the holes more. And uh, these are the biases that are built into my show that I didn't know were there. These are the problem, the chips on my shoulder that I have, maybe. One of them for me was I didn't go to college. So I would write a ton of material uh, that was almost like a desperate attempt to prove to the audience, I'm just as smart as you. Uh-huh. I'm clever. Because that was not fulfilled in a piece of paper on my wall like a lot of people had. So I, I literally had to be honest with myself and look at my material and go, I need to be the dummy in this premise, but I'm afraid to make myself the dummy in this because I, I'm almost afraid that I'll lose the audience's acceptance as a smart person. Right. And that was a weakness that I had to address in my writing. And um, even, the, even the musical stuff, coming out and needing to be impressive to somebody mm-hmm. like I was in a band, that nece- not nece- that's not necessarily the right way to always be in your show. You need to have a moment where you mess up. I mean, you look at somebody like a Victor Borgia when he used to, you know, he would play amazing and then he would uh, he would hit a bad note. Yeah, on yeah. Pur- it was all on purpose. You'd see he's a genius who also can laugh at himself without him saying a word. Right. Uh, so there's something to the nuance of that, knowing, being very self-aware. If a comedian is not self-aware, you're never going to succeed. you got to find the failure even when you're getting huge laughs, you've got to go watch yourself and find the little failure that you can fix. And a lot of people aren't willing to put in that work. Yeah. Well, know? speaking of somebody that's uh, a little, <laughs> not a little failure. I was, speaking <laughs> of failure. I was going to say that. Um, but somebody who um, is, is in the newer spot, and you were just brought up, yeah. whether you're the smart guy or the dumb guy in the mm-hmm. joke. Um, I know Gavin struggles with that, trying to put himself in, in the middle. So let him, let's yeah, Gavin have a, a couple questions. questions sure. Here. Yeah. How, how do you make that trend or you know make that decision you know on how to be like your position in the joke whether you're going to be the uh you know is it how you think the audience is going to yeah uh, appear to you or or or, you know their opinion of you because i sort of have that a little bit like i don't know whether i'm like i don't i don't have a weight thing and i don't have a something else so i feel like a totally blank blank slate that the audience has nothing to read off of me yeah you know yeah, I, I don't. To me, what I did, what I'm ended up going to was, um, I was a very shy, introverted kid, and I had a couple of jokes in my show that talked about it, but it's almost like painful to start mining your life for that stuff. I I found it really painful. Like, yeah, yeah, um, because you go, it's almost youth events have really maybe that's what it did. It, it was a youth, doing enough youth events, it burned that out of me because. The first time I ever did a, a room full of eighth and ninth graders, it was literally like I'm standing there holding my tray in the lunchroom again, trying to make an eighth or ninth grader uh, oh, approve yeah. of me. Oh yeah, and and they are a prove it to me audience for real. Like yeah. there's no bigger prove it to me audience than a youth audience. So 
Yeah, go try to be a substitute teacher yeah. for, a, for a day. You will find out whether you are funny <laughs> or not funny. I've done it yeah. a little bit. It, the, That's the ultimate, like, part-time comedian's job is substitute the, teaching. I've done it, it really yeah. Is. It's, it, but I've it's known great. so many. It's great to look at the whites of their eyes, and they are the meanest. Yeah, the meanest. and they, it's like a, the old Simpsons episode where they say, the kids can be cruel, and then they, one of them goes, we can, all right, and they run <laughs> off. <and laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. But, but, yeah, it's like that, I think doing enough of those where I felt the, their acceptance or I felt whatever maybe that was like the therapy that let me delve further in to this awkward side of myself and sharing some of those stories I talk about gym class I talk about um, doing the spelling bee uh, and I you know uh, I talk about the present physical fitness challenge and having somebody hold my feet while I did sit ups did you have the box where you had to bend forward and touch the numbers <laughs> yeah, in the front yeah, yeah. that was the worst I always felt like completely inadequate yeah so mining that now, I feel like that's going to be the next the next level of where I go to, and so there's a here's the deal more in, more inner stuff as right. opposed to the outer. Yeah, because you can be impressive to a crowd. There's a there's a principle that I learned just from preparing sermons that said uh, somebody said to me, "Tell me," he said, "If you wanna, you can impress people from far away, but if you want to impact them, you have to get up close." And right. so that's kind of the idea when you talk about discipleship or you talk about what we do uh, as a church leader. But in that same way, if you're not letting an audience get close to you and your real persona, and you're just like rattling off jokes, there's something impressive about that. But you're not going to be memorable to them in the same way that somebody who reveals something deep about Absolutely. themselves. Absolutely, yeah. Rick has mentioned that many times before. Yeah. Like that, people will walk away from the show going, "Oh, that was so funny." Him talking to his wife, and it's like you yeah. realize he was just telling a story about that, but you feel like you were mm-hmm. in the third person yeah. in the room with that. Well, and the, the truth about the the stories about being awkward is what I'm finding is, and as you get older, you start realizing everybody that you know. Even the ones who you think were like the jock or the prom queen, they (laughs) had insecurities all over them. They felt insecure. They felt awkward. Everybody's had an embarrassing moment. There's nothing, you know, there's nobody in the audience that's not going to relate to that kind of material. Uh, And so it was cathartic for me to start doing it. And now that's where I find the writing heading that way. Unless, and I do the thing of like, why do we have this? And then like starting kind of pointing out what I think is wrong with the world. You can get away with that right. more after you've revealed like this is also this is what the the bubbling cauldron of awfulness that's it's inside from, of me. Yeah, yeah. it's coming yeah. from the inside, and then because you know who right. I am on the inside, this is why I'm frustrated with these things. Right, that kind of it's like a license that they give you. Right, once to, you've yeah to have an opinion really about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, what would be some good advice? Because I'm beginning. Uh, what what do you see beginner comics doing that you would fix? Um, I don't know. Some advice for beginners. I'm hearing myself echoing. Uh, in echo, yeah. Take them out. What happened? I don't know. Okay. It doesn't matter. Beginner, beginner comics. What are they doing? Um, one thing I would say is uh, obviously time is important. But and people say that you got to get up in front of people. You got to stage time is important. But there are different kinds of stage time. And I think some beginner comics don't, they think, well, I've been doing this six months and I've been up this many times. Right. And so why am I not advancing? Sure. So it's like redeem the time that you have. And there are rooms, like I learned early on not to go into a room that was an open mic that I could not learn anything from. 
Okay. So I would say we have, I'm not going to name rooms in Nashville, but we <laughs> have rooms here where you can go up and you can say your jokes into a microphone. And if that's what you're looking to do, there's, there is a benefit to that. But you're not going to walk away from those crowds knowing if what you have is a keeper or not. Right. And to me, I didn't because, see the point of leaving of the, my house to do, to do to that. Go do that. Is that because of the audience or the how the shows run? Well, it can be a little bit of both. But many times you get an audience, like if, if you know a room is just going to be full of arm-folding comics in the back, they've not mm-hmm. been able to put real people in the seat yet. Right. What'll happen is, and it's happening. I mean, this has happened in some of the. There's, there's, there's part of the Nashville scene that has this. Every town has a scene sure, like that yeah. where your act begins to morph to uh, a a show where only comics get your jokes, right? Be- and it's because that's who you've been telling all your jokes in front of. So it's like, well, if I can't make these seven people laugh, I'm going to go to these 12 people in the back who are waiting to go on. Right. And we'll all laugh at how dumb this show is you, and how right. awkward this moment is. Well, th- there, are, there are comics out there that that's all they've ever developed. Yeah. And they're five years in. And so that's the weird thing about some some of the alt scene is I'm okay with alt comedy if it's I'm rewarding this guy for taking a leap or he, he knows the rules and he's kind of bending the rules a little bit there are comics I like that do that but there's there's a thing that where there's a thing that I think is dangerous uh, early on is falling in with a, a clique of comedians that think it's beneath them to tell a polished set up punch joke yeah 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 if you fall in with them it can be very detrimental because then you're just like it's almost like so I've I've been in rooms before where you're almost looked down upon for having polished material. Right, right. And I just think that's so it's caustic yeah, to yeah. what you're trying to develop. So yeah, um, no, I I've I've been in a couple of those and and I I know sort of what you're talking about. Of course, I was I didn't have the confidence underneath me, so mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was me or the material or the what. But then when I went somewhere else and did it in front of nor what I would, civilians, um, <laughs> the normals, yeah, the normals, uh, then. All of a sudden, it hit, and it was like, "Oh, all right, yeah. Yeah. I'm not this heap of terrible material." Like right. it was just, you know, the audience, or, or you know, yeah. not, not that I'm blaming the audience, but but if you're in front of a, an entire room full of arm folded comedians who are, yeah, the like, or the room matters. The room matters sometimes, uh, as Rick folds his arms. I, was, I, I know we're all here with our arms folded. Our, yeah, <laughs> this guy's very. <laughs> the body language in this yeah, room is terrible right now. I'm sorry, you guys. It is great. No, but yeah, I think that there's there's a time we talk about never blaming that. It's never the audience's fault. But there are some audiences that you just I would say it's an audience I couldn't learn from. From okay, you know there there are times when um, you know Zany's is such a, a great room, um, and anytime I get a chance to go up there, I will go up because yeah. it's it's a room that I can walk away and go okay, that needs work. Because it did not work here. Right. Or okay. That worked here. It'll work anywhere. Oh, uh, good. Okay. There's very few. I mean, that's a really great thing to that's, have in your yeah, town. A barometer? Very, yeah. yeah. That's nice to have uh, something that you know. And sometimes don't have that kind of room, really. Yeah. You know, uh, so that's good. And there are some mics that are like that here, too. But sometimes a, a, a comedian can be rewarded for going out on a limb and just being weird. Mm-hmm. And I think that's okay once in a while but if you build an entire act around that it's very you got to be careful yeah uh, unless that's just what you want to do man it's an art form do what you want to do it's right. comedy subjective i, I want to get paid that's yeah. what i <laughs> that's that's my thing but uh and i guess we'll take it back to uh to rick this point and let him wrap it up 
And I appreciate you, Johnny, uh, opening your door and opening mine. They're six feet apart from each other and joining us today. It's been a you've I've wanted to get you on here for a while, and I, I like you know I just like to see not only what takeaways you can give the the people because you've done it in the grand scheme of things a pretty short amount of time, but accomplished yeah. quite a bit. So um, love to see your work ethic, and it's I'm always happy to see. Uh, I never take credit for my students' successes, but I'm always happy to see success from my students yeah. and and what it takes. And it's always good to hear that. And I think a lot of people listening kind of can identify with, with the the challenges and sacrifices you got to make. And if they weren't aware of some of them before, hopefully they are now and can think about taking those chances to yeah. to make it. If your if it, your passion is one thing, but if your passions and skills don't match up, it's not. It right. can't be a dream you live out. So. Yeah. Um, what you did today is put a lot of that stuff in perspective for some folks, and I yeah. uh, really appreciate you popping in. Where, where can people follow you? I mean, it's I'll let you tell so I don't mess it up, but make sure you give me your Twitter because you're a prolific Twitter <laughs> Twitter, uh, I'm uh, at Johnny, J-O-N-N-I-E underscore W, uh, Johnny underscore W, and uh, JohnnyW.com, J-O-N-N-I-E-W.com. Uh, you can find all that and all my links to my social media is on the, the main website too so. and Johnny's on the road quite a bit mm-hmm. I guarantee he'll be somewhere near you yeah. in the next six to eight months so go out and see him tell him you heard him on the show and we'll probably get you back a few years down the road and see oh. what's changed what's different and you know what's going down yeah. I love it Thanks thank for you brother me. you bet thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast if you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.